0: Welcome, everyone, as we sit before the Lord. And as always, as we gather tonight, our goals are to praise God Almighty for his truth. And that's what we're going to hear tonight and get to know him in truth. And then, of course, with that, reverence him in totality. That's why I'm going to ask you, whether you're listening to this CD or you're here right before us, eliminate the distractions from your mind. This life has so many things pulling at us in different directions, and this is the truth that God Almighty has placed here since the beginning of time. Christ gave his all. We deserve to give our all, and that means all of our attention. So I'm going to ask you to put your phones away and let the truth of the Lord just marinate in your soul, because we have such an exciting message tonight, and I, I wait on the Lord through the weekend and just say, well, Lord, what's, what's the message? And he gave me one word, hope. And so tonight we're going to cover the awesome power of hope. So let's go through some Psalms because Psalms and Proverbs, Romans, it really covers the word hope so effectively and helps us understand what hope means before the Lord. So Psalms 71 Verse 5, it says, Thou art my hope, O Lord God. Thou art my trust from my youth. The reason this is so incredible is because when we go before the Lord, we're to be childlike. So he is our trust. As soon as we are childlike and say, Lord, I want to follow you, we know that we can trust him. And he is our hope. And I'm going to have you flip somewhere else right now, <laughs> just after you get to Psalm 71. Uh, For thou art my hope, O Lord God. Let's go to Romans 4, verse 18. I love how Paul talks about it. Now, Paul was a man who had every, in his life before he met Christ, every sin known to man. He, he persecuted the, the church, and then the, he met the Lord, and in his truth, and so he became one of the great ministers in the Bible because of the hope that he got, he obtained through Jesus Christ. So in Romans 4, verse 18, he's speaking of Abraham here, the father of nations. And he's in Rome, And Paul is saying, Abraham, who against hope, believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Abraham was a friend of God. And he, like David in Psalm 71, believed in God, that he fulfilled his promises. That's why Abraham, who against hope, believed in hope. Now, the word hope in the New Testament means to anticipate, usually with pleasure. So we anticipate the work of the Lord. And when we're filled with the Holy Ghost and we understand God's majesty, and we're going to cover that in a little bit. It's easier and easier to anticipate the Lord's work with pleasure. The word hope also means expectation. Did you know that you can expect God Almighty to back up his word 100% of the time? That should be your soul's expectation. You should train your mind to expect that. And you should tell everyone on the planet, when God gives you a promise, I'm, I'm banking on it. It's my expectation. That's what that word hope means. It also means confidence. In Proverbs 2, uh, 3.26, we don't have to turn there. It just, just says, the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from slipping. So again, when your attention is focused on the Lord, just like in Psalm 71.5, when your attention is focused on the Lord, your expectation, your confidence, you anticipate with pleasure that he will supply those needs and be a man of his promise. God delivers on his promises. Let's go to Proverbs 13:12, Because we serve a real God too. He doesn't expect us to just Oh, you know, let's just play church. Let's just have fun with things. No, we serve a real God. Proverbs 13, verse 12. It says, Hope deferred maketh the heart sick, but when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. That's right. The Lord understands the heart. He created your heart. So he understands better than anyone that hope deferred maketh that heart sick. But guess what? He also knows. God Almighty knows he is not a man that he can lie. He delivers on his promises 100% of the time. And so when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. Now, again, we're just going through some scriptures here really fast about hope. Not really fast, but we're going through some scriptures about hope. And then we're going to dive into some scriptures to showcase why we hope in God Almighty. In Psalm 71, verse 14, it says, but I will hope continually and yet praise thee more and more. What does that tell you? That tells you that sometimes that hope does require waiting as in we saw in Proverbs, and maybe your heart has to kind of go a journey and get stretched a little bit. But as you hope continually and praise more and more, the Lord will hear you and he will deliver. As it says here in Psalm 31, verse 24, it says, be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. So if you have been hoping and your heart feels sick because that hope has been deferred, then just know that you can be of good courage because God Almighty will strengthen your heart. It says, And he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. So your hope is not in man. Your hope is not in things that we see here in this life. Your hope is not in your own abilities or your bank account or your understanding of what you've seen in the past to be the same of what you're going to see in the future. No, you hope in the Lord, and He shall strengthen your heart. And then in First Peter, chapter one, verse three, I love this. I love this one. And Peter was a man who had quite the journey before the Lord. First Peter's towards the back of the Bible, and. Uh, Christ really had to rebuke Peter multiple times, despite the fact that he also told Peter, you are the rock that I will build my church upon. He also had to rebuke Peter. And there was one point where Christ came upon the the disciples fishing, and Peter was embarrassed when Christ showed up and had to jump into the the sea. So there was a great dynamic that Christ really worked on Peter. But I'll tell you, when Peter got it, he got it. So, whatever your life has looked like in the past, your hope is in the Lord. When he shows you something, run with it. First Peter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Christ is resurrected, he's not on a cross. He's living inside us. When we choose to get baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, he lives inside us and we have that same lively hope every day as we walk on this earth. In Romans chapter 15, verse 13, it says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. How? In believing that ye may abound in hope. How? Through the power of the Holy Ghost. So that's the first key, is if you want that hope abounding in you, you've got to, have, you've got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. So let's talk about these things now. Let's talk about, number one, how you get filled with the Holy Ghost. Let's go to Acts 238 How do you get filled with the Holy Ghost? Well, again Peter had this question basically posed to him in Acts 238 because he after Christ left and the disciples were left with this these masses wondering, what have we heard? What have we what have we seen? And they actually in verse 37 after they heard what Christ did for them, said, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's just that simple. And so when you look at Through abounding in hope, through the power of the Holy Ghost, it's very simple. You get baptized in the the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth for the remission of sins. And that's how you get the power of the Holy Ghost so that you may abound in hope. So let's talk about some things, as I mentioned, we hope in the Lord. So let's, let's look at some of those things in Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy is the fourth book of the Bible. It's at the beginning. And, or is it the third book? Deuteronomy, Exodus. It goes, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Yeah, so it is, oh, Numbers is the fourth. Deuteronomy is the fifth book. Numbers comes in fourth. So Deuteronomy 32. This is so beautiful. This is our hope. Starting in verse 1. It says, give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak. So again, this is why I asked at the beginning. And and make it a habit when you're before the Lord and when, when you set time aside to get in his word, to really set that time aside. Give ear. Because actually here in the word, he's asking for all the heavens to give ear. So surely we should too. It says, and I will speak. And hear, O earth. The words of my mouth, my doctrine shall drop as the rain, my speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon the grass. Now, this is so interesting. First of all, rain gives life. So does the word of God. His doctrine gives life. But isn't this interesting? My speech shall distill as the dew which is very small, tender herbs. They can't handle a big flood, can they? They need very soft watering. But the grass, shoot, they can handle showers. So the Lord understands at every soul and what every soul needs so that that soul can be watered with the word and that that word goes in and it is a comfort to their soul and gives that lively hope. And in verse three, it says, Because I will publish the name of the Lord. Ascribe ye greatness unto our God. He is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment, a God of truth, and without iniquity. Just and right is he. So, why can we hope in the Lord? It's because he is just. He is right, and his way is perfect. Do you want some more proof of how perfect God's way is? Let's go to one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 22. Now, King David is the one who this chapter is written about, and he had quite the relationship with the Lord in that he pretty much ran the gamut of uh, doing everything his way and then doing things God's way and uh, figuring out which way really worked the best. (laughs) So in 2 Samuel 22, David is realizing that God's way really is the best way. But the reason the Lord gives us King David as an illustration and it's so powerful to read through the Psalms and uh, the book of Samuel, the, both books, books of Samuel, is because David was a man after God's own heart. And that's why the Lord took him down these journeys that were rather odd and peculiar. But it says here in verse 1, it says, "...and David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies." And out of the hand of Saul. Saul was the king at the time. He had all the power. He tried multiple times to kill David. But God was his deliverer. So David rejoiced and he said, And he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The God of my rock. In him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation. My high tower. And my refuge, my Savior, thou savest me from violence. Now, violence nowadays comes in a lot of different forms, right? It can be very violent, hateful words coming against you. It can be bombings in the middle of the city of Austin. That city is currently under the threat of violence. But if they could just, if souls down there could rest in the Lord, they would know He saves them from violence and He will give you the perfect leading. When you're filled with the Holy Ghost and you're abounding in his hope, he will give you the perfect leading step by step to save you from violence. In verse 4, it says, I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. God is not a man that he can lie. When he says he is your deliverer, he will deliver you. You can expect that, have confidence and hope in it. It gets even further, though. David really describes here what he was going through. When the waves of death compassed me, the floods, plural, of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. David saying, I, I was up against it. I had no recourse. Everywhere I looked was death and the floods of ungodly men. We're seeing this right now in this land. Look, the word flood can meet a flood of words too. And sometimes souls, especially Christians that want to do the right thing and they think they want to do the right, they're trying to live a righteous life before the Lord. They just get flooded with ungodly words. And all of a sudden, they find themselves in a totally different place than where they were five years ago, not knowing how that even happened. It's the flood of ungodly men that is just compassing about so many souls. But here in in verse 7, here's what David did, and we can do as well. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God. And by the way, God Almighty is your God. He created your soul. He's your God too. And he did hear my voice out of his temple, and my cry did enter into his ears. Did you know this, is, this happens every day? Every day that a soul cries out before the Lord, those cries enter right into his ears. And here's what happens. This is pretty awesome. Then the earth sh- shook and trembled. The foundations of heaven moved and shook because he was wroth. God Almighty was wroth. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth devoured, coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down, and darkness was under his feet. What's incredible about the, the word of God is that the Old Testament, everything happened in the physical. The New Testament, it happens in the spiritual. So when we read the Old Testament, we we need to understand that these things are still happening but it's spiritually discerned now. So when we're talking about darkness is under his feet, that's still happening. When you're filled with the Holy Ghost, Eva, you're filled with the Holy Ghost. When you walk around, darkness is under your feet because God did it back here and it's happening right now spiritually as you walk around. Darkness is under your feet. How about this? In verse 11, he rode upon a cherub and did fly and was seen Upon the wings of the wind. Nothing's touching this. Nothing's touching him. Nothing. This is God Almighty, your God. The creator of the universe who sent his only begotten son for your salvation. He made darkness pavilions round about him. Dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. Through the brightness before him were coals of fire kindled. Now put yourself in David's position here. He was compassed about by waves of, waves of death with floods of ungodly men surrounding him. And then God hears his cries and puts on quite the show for this man's soul. And why? It's because at the very beginning, when David said the, the, in verse two, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, his soul knew that. So God Almighty delivered him with a great and mighty deliverance. It says in verse 14, the, the Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice and he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and discomfited them. You know, that must have been pretty impressive to watch if you are David and you've been embattled for years and the most powerful man in, in the land, the king, Saul, is trying to kill you What an incredible thing to witness. God Almighty coming to the rescue. That's our hope. That's our confidence. And that can be your expectation, dear soul, those that are sitting before me and those that are listening to this right now. In verse 16, And the channels of the sea appeared. The foundations of the world were discovered at the rebuking of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. So, This is quite the show, but in reality, God Almighty is so powerful, it took the blast of the breath of his nostrils. And you know, that's one of my greatest hopes, is God's incredible, unlimited, eternal authority and power. Verse 17, he sent from above, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. Again, all those waters, that word many means great, all those waters can be the flood of words that we are constantly battled with. Oh, this isn't true. That's not true. Don't think about that. Think about this. The flood of words that want you to be worried about, oh, your job or, or money or your future retirement. We've got some other scriptures again that's just going to blow a flipping huge hole right into that uh, that flood of words because only the Lord is sufficient to save. In verse 18, He delivered me from my strong enemy, from them that hated me, for they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me. Why? Because He delighted in me. So, tender soul of God, know that you were created by the hand of God, and know that he does delight in you right now as you seek him and as you say, Lord, I want to know more about you. He doesn't look at your past. He doesn't consider that. He wants to commune with you. He wants to delight in you and will deliver you. In verse 21, it says, the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness according to the cleanness of my hands, hath he recompensed me. You know, the world is going to tell you that, oh, you've made all these mistakes. You're a sinner. You're no good. God's never going to accept you. Blah, blah, blah. Not so. Not so. Sin is willful transgression against God. That means you said, yeah, um, up yours, Lord. I'm going to sin. But when you haven't done that, because you haven't actually been told, when your hands are clean, when you're When you're doing everything you know to do, or when you've been baptized and immediately your past is washed away, your hands are nothing but clean, and the Lord will reward you according to that cleanliness. So that's why when those thousands were asking the disciples, what shall we do, Peter kept it real simple. He didn't have a bunch of form and rituals. He just said, repent. Be baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost. And in verse 26, it says, With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. And with the upright man, thou wilt show thyself upright. That's right. God is just. He is right. You can count on it, expect it, and guarantee it. With the pure, thou wilt show thyself pure. And with the froward, thou wilt show thyself unsavory. The the a-holes in this world, they're not going to get away with it. Oh, sure, on the media, in the media especially, swarming with a-holes, and they think they're going to get away with it, but there's another scripture that says the Lord shall laugh at their calamity, and he will. So hope in that, dear soul of the Lord. Hope in that, that God is just, he is righteous, and he will be pure with those that are pure and will be froward and unsavory with those that are froward and unsavory. And by the way, did I mention that just the blast of the breath of God's nostril will reveal the foundations of the world? So if you want to take on God Almighty, you're going to be hurting for certain. In verse 28, it says, And the afflicted people wilt thou save, but thine eyes are upon the haughty, and thou mayest bring them down. For thou art my lamp, O Lord." and the Lord will lighten my darkness. Again, the only way that the scripture said, Proverbs um, 13, 12, hope deferred, maketh the heart sick. Guarantee you David felt, his heart felt sick many a time as he was going through this. But guess what? You have to go through that if you want to discover that, but when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. We're about to read about that tree of life right now. If your heart is tender before the Lord and you just say, well, Lord, I just want you. Even if even if you feel sick because you're still waiting and you're, you've got to hold on to that hope and you've got to cling to that hope, just know that when that desire cometh, it is the tree of light. So let's talk about that in verse 30. David knew, for by thee, Speaking of God Almighty, have I run through a troop. By my God, have I leapt over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The only way the Lord can show a soul that his way is perfect and that he is right and he is just is if you go through things because then the Lord rescues you. But the Lord's way is perfect, and you can bank on that, expect it, And guarantee it. Why? Because the word of the Lord is tried. That means refined. That means it's been proven out time and time and time again. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him. The word buckler means totally encompassed. One 360 degrees, you are protected. If you trust in the Lord, though, you'll listen to him. So those those souls that heard Peter, three it says later in Acts, three thousand were baptized because they trusted in that word. So they got those promises. Let's go back to Second Samuel twenty-two, or in verse thirty-two, for who is God? It's a great question. For who is God? Now the world will tell you there's a lot of gods out there: fancy cars, big houses, cool careers. Celebrities, movie stars, sports athletes, but not so. For who is God? Save the Lord. There isn't one. There is no other power in the history of ever or will ever be that can uh, discover the foundation of the world with the blast of the breath of his nostrils. <laughs> it's such good imagery. I love it. And who is a rock? Save our God. Verse 33, God is my strength and power. He maketh my way perfect. So rest in the Lord. Hope that God is making your way perfect. Have confidence in that. Here here in verse 34, he maketh my feet like hinds feet and setteth me upon my high places. Hinds are kind of like a deer. They can leap through rocks. They have incredibly sure footing. And when we're walking along the rocky terrain of life, we need sure footing. And you get that only from the Lord. He teacheth my hands to war. Ooh, that's exciting. So that a bow of steel is broken by my arms. Well, again, when David's going through this incredible struggle, he had to have incredible strength at the drop of a hat. Well, the Lord gave that to him. He had experience with that. I love this. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation. That's right. Our salvation is a shield around us from the sin, sickness, disease, a number of, uh, well, any obstacle that this world can throw at you. You have your shield of salvation through Christ Jesus. And here's one of my favorite scriptures in the entire word. So David is talking about how God teached his hands to war so that a bow of steel is broken in his arms. Thou hast given me the shield of thy salvation and thy gentleness hath made me great. God Almighty, the same God that created your soul, that put that heart in you, the same God that can rebuke the Satan and re- and. With the breath of his nostrils, I just keep saying, because it's amazing, but it is. Discover the foundations of the world. It is by his gentleness that he makes us great. And that word great means to multiply. So if you're looking for the Lord to bless you and to multiply you, hope in his gentleness. Hope in his salvation. Let's look at Jeremiah 17. The prophet Jeremiah was another man that was regularly... Uh, thrown into prison, abused by kings. I mean, this man man knew who and where to put his hope. In Jeremiah 17, let's start in verse 5. It says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. You've got one of two options. You either trust in God Almighty, whose power and strength we just read about, or you can try to trust in man and see how that goes for you. Jeremiah is saying that it's actually a curse to trust in man, and that means man's mind, man's advice, man's uh, pretenses, man's titles. If it's not backed up by the word of God, basically, It's man's mind and man's ways. But if it is backed up by the word of God, then it's God's ways. And that's how you know. That's how you keep it simple. This word, it says the the word is a two-edged sword dividing even to bone and marrow. That's how we divide things out. That's how you know if it's God's way or man's way. Is God always backs up his word. So use the word as that barometer. Well, what do I hope in, Lord? Where do I put my hope, my expectation, my confidence? If it's not backed up by the word of God in scripture, abort mission. Turn the other way because it's man's mind. And this says, curse be the man that trusteth in man. Because what happens? Your heart departs from the Lord. And as we read all the wonderful blessings, that lively hope that we abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost, that diminishes in our life. Uh, And it says in verse 6, for he shall be like the heath in the desert. Now, heath in the Hebrew means the nudity of a situation, to be bare, to be break, to break. So uh, that sounds like a really crummy situation, to be bare or nude in the middle of the desert. Let's just speak from a literal standpoint here. If you're naked in the desert, In the heat of the day, you're going to last about 13.2 seconds before you are crawling in discomfort, trying to find some level of comfort in any way, shape, or form. That's why it says, anyone who trusts in man shall be like that. You give it 13 seconds and all of a sudden you're confused. You don't know what to do next. It seems like there's no solutions. That's what happens when you trust in man or make flesh. Your, your arm, your strength, your outreach. And it says further in verse 6, and you shall not see when good cometh. You know, that's what's happening now because so many Christians have been convinced to use their own mind to not read the word, but to look at these preachers on TV that have all these great orations and fancy catchphrases. Because they've been convinced to trust in Men on TV, not the word of God. This is where they find themselves. When good cometh, they, shall not, they can't even see it. They can't even recognize the word of the Lord anymore. Well, my hope is in God Almighty, and my hope is in what we read in Deuteronomy, that the Lord's doctrine shall, shall drop as the rain, and that means it's going to shower the grass and it's going to be able to water those tender herbs as well that's where my hope is. Going on in verse 6, it says, um, this, the, the man that trusteth in man shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land, and not inhabited. So that's where you're going to be left if you trust in man at the end of the day, in uninhabited wastelands. Or guess what? I love the word of the Lord. There's always an alternative, and you get to choose. You get to choose. And I always hope you choose the Lord. I always hope you choose to hope in God's word and trust in the Lord, because here's what you get. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be a tree planted by the waters and that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when the heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. That sounds a whole lot better. And that again reminds me that, that just being planted by the waters, well, that water is the word. That water is Christ Jesus. That water is the spirit flowing through us. So be planted in the word of God, and then you won't cease from yielding fruit. The Lord's gentleness shall make you great. It just confirms what we just read in 2 Samuel. So now let's go to Romans 8. Let's go, uh, as I mentioned, the Old Testament, it's very, it's incredible to read because they were so heavily afflicted, these incredible men of God and, and women. They were heavily afflicted, so they got to see that incredible contrast between hoping in the Lord and hoping in man. And yet they didn't even have Christ yet. They just hoped in that, that God would deliver them in totality. Well, now in the New Testament, with Christ, the human soul has been delivered in totality. We have every hope and confidence in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And that's why Paul, in total confidence, can say these things to the Romans in chapter 8, starting in verse 1. There is now therefore there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. So when you abide by Acts 238 and you get baptized and you get filled with the Holy Ghost and you're walking after the spirit guess what never comes across your plate condemnation. And if it does, you just flip that thing right over and you know that's a lie of the devil. Because right here it says there is no condemnation to those which are in Christ Jesus walking after the Spirit. None. So whatever the past may be, it's dead. With that baptism, you're burying the past in that baptism. And that's why Paul can say with such confidence, there is now no condemnation. And here we go in verse two, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. So this is saying, look, the law, the law was there in the Old Testament. We know that. But it was weak because it was through the flesh of man. It was, we had to physically set, sa- them back then had to physically sacrifice flesh to atone for sin. There was a lot of stuff they had to do to atone for sin. And that was a weakness through flesh. So God sending his own son as the one and only sacrifice. In verse four, this is what it did that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Those who say, Lord, I want all of you. I want hope eternal. I want peace in my life. I want to overcome sin, sickness, and disease. I want answers my whole life. Those are they that walk in the Spirit. And here's how we know the difference again. I was talking about the contrast between the mind of man and the mind of God. Well, here's how we know it again in verse 5. For they that walk after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. That's why Christ said, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's why they say, be baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost. It's because all of a sudden, you just you're minding the things of the spirit and your hope is in the Lord. Your life is pretty. You're floating. In fact, in fact, you're flying on the wings of the wind just like the Lord was in David's example because you're minding the things of the spirit and the things of the flesh can't touch you. And you want me to prove that? It's right here in verse six. For to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Okay, very simple. You want life and peace, become spiritually minded. That's why being filled with the Holy Ghost is so important. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Enmity means mortal enemy. Again, there's it's one of two directions. It's either the Lord's mind or man's mind. The only way you know God's mind is the word of God. So that's why this word is such a dividing line. For it is not subject, speaking of the carnal mind, speaking of the natural mind, it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But in verse 9, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. So the promise of the Holy Ghost is given to those that are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ in Nazareth for the remission of sins. That's the promise of the Holy Ghost. And if the Spirit of God is going to dwell in you, you need to do that first and foremost. And then you'll know that you're in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Continuing on in verse 9, it says, Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Until that happens, you're still going to be kind of flailing. You're still going to kind of be searching and wondering, well, How do I get this done? You've got to follow the Word as, as Christ commanded. That's why he said, If you love me, keep my commandments. Because he knew that those souls that really want him, they'll listen. He says, my sheep know my voice, they'll listen. And it says, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Isn't that an incredible hope? But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raiseth up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. We don't owe this world anything. You don't owe this world anything. You're free. You are free. You don't owe this world a thing. You owe God everything. (laughs) But God's righteous. And he pours back upon us. So gosh, that's a great deal. That's a great deal. But here's more. This is why it's so important. What Paul is saying here is so critically important because of these next few verses. Here we go. It says, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. It's the very difference between life and death. And I'll tell you this there's a lot of people out there walking around, and they're the walking dead. They have no life in them because all they do is feed the flesh. All they do is run after the next thing. All they do is whatever makes sense, whatever makes you happy, go do that. That is not God's way. It doesn't there is nowhere in the word that it says, go do whatever feels good. Nowhere. It's quite the opposite. If you love me, keep my commandments. But guess what? His yoke is easy and his burden is light. It's so it's so wonderful when you see the hope and the peace and the, and the righteousness that you get to be a part of by living through the Spirit, by mortifying the deeds of the flesh. That's how you live. And you know what you're not going to hear in a lot of churches out there? That verse right there. Because they want tithe payers. That's important to them. Mortifying the deeds of the flesh? Not so much. Giving souls a chance to live? Who knows? But Paul is very specific right here. And then it says right here, verse 14, for as, many as, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, no way, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. When, a, when you're a father, Bill, When your daughter asks you for something, you don't ignore her. You tend to it, you take care of her. You've also had to probably correct her and discipline her. That same relationship exists with God Almighty. He doesn't, he doesn't want us in bondage of fear. You're not, you should never be scared. Perfect love casts out fear. But we are adopted by God Almighty. So that's why when David said, my heart crieth out, he knew God the Father was listening because David knew who his true father was. And here it says in verse 16, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Absolutely. This gets really exciting. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Heck yeah. That's what, so Paul right here is basically saying, you know how it said hope deferred maketh the heart sick? He's saying right here, I reckon the sufferings, that heart being sick, that hope being deferred, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. That tree of life springing up, can't even compare them. And if you've ever been through something, you know, yeah, it's, it can be tough when you're going through something. I mean, Bill, you were a Marine. You know how tough boot camp was. But weren't you glad when you were in combat that you had that training? Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Because that tree of life sprang forth and you knew, oh, oh, crap. That's why I got that training. That's why it was so hard. That's why God was preparing you for what was to come. It says that, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope." Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. That creature is an unsaved soul. It's it's a soul that doesn't know who God is and has to be delivered from the bondage of corruption, the bondage of the flesh, into that glorious liberty and become a child of God. In verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our whole body. For we are saved by hope. That's right. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us, us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He's speaking here of speaking in tongues and why it's important again. When you're filled with the Holy Ghost and, and you've got that the Spirit working through you, you pray in an unknown language, and it actually offers your soul a verbose and expansive language to make intercession when you, you're you groaning. You don't even know what you need to pray for. And there have been days, yes, that it's just been like, I don't even know what I need to pray for right now, but I'm just going to pray in the spirit and let the Lord do the work. In verse 27, and he that searcheth the hearts knoweth, What is the mind of the Spirit? Because he maketh intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. That's right. That's why any church or any so-called minister who tries to tell you that you're a sinner doesn't know his word because it says right here that all things work together for the good, When you're the called of God, your past is going to be part of what makes you who you are. Because God's ways are perfect, as we covered in 2 Samuel. The Lord's ways are perfect. He knows where you need to go. And and let's go on, because Paul, again, does a beautiful job laying this out. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, That's us, that's our soul being predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ in Nazareth, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, then he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. God has a process Why do you think it's so important to hope? Why do you think it's so important to have that expectation and confidence in God Almighty and in His ways being perfect? Because God has a process that does what? End up with you and your soul being glorified. That's pretty awesome. But guess what? It gets even better. Verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God before us, Who can be against us? (laughs) Yeah, that's such a great scripture. And when you need hope, when you need that encouragement, dearly beloved soul of God, when you need encouragement, you just bank on that. If God be for us, who can be against us? Well, who is God for? Again, Christ says, if you love me, keep my commandments. God will always be for those who stand up for his word, who keep his word, and who follow his commandments. You can bank on that. And if God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If his gentleness is making you great, if trusting in the Lord makes you like a tree planted by the waters to just bring forth abundance fruit, that's right, how can he... Not freely give us all things. He will freely give us all things. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Nobody. Because it is God that justifieth. Again, you don't owe this world anything. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Who even, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Christ is still doing the work today. So verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter, Paul's speaking very personally here because he experienced these things. We've got it pretty easy. We're sitting here in a comfortable home. We might have some tribulation. We might have a coworker that comes against us or that people that try to bully us. We're not in prison. We're not being whipped or beaten. Paul was. He knew and yet he still said this. Verse 37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him that loved us, through Jesus Christ of Nazareth, when we keep his commandments, we are more than conquerors. Now, put yourself in the position of a conqueror. <laughs> you had to be a, you gotta be a badass. First of all, you're upsetting the whole apple cart, all right? Second of all, You've not only got to drive out the inhabitants of that land to conquer it, but guaranteed there's going to be some other people trying to take your land too. So you have to be constantly vigilant. Well, in these things, we are more than conquerors. We are way above that. We have already won. We've already succeeded. We've already attained all through Christ that loved us. In verse 38, For I am persuaded, and again, Paul... Is persuaded and this is a man that was shipwrecked he was beaten he was stoned he was hated by the very people that he came to save for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any creature that nor any creature certainly includes Any person on this planet that tries to tell you you're not worthy of God's love, you're not worthy of salvation, or you need to strive, or you need to do anything but what's in this word to obtain all the promises God has for you. Nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's an incredibly powerful chapter. That's an incredibly powerful uh, promise and an incredible, incredibly worthy hope to let your soul rest in. Every day, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're experiencing, no matter what this world can throw at you. When you get baptized and you're filled with the Holy Ghost, and as Paul said at the beginning of that chapter, we're walking in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Isn't it incredible he starts with that explanation? Because that's very important to understand. There's the flesh and there's the spirit, and they are opposites. As far as the east is from the west. So as you focus on the spirit and as you focus on becoming spiritually minded and getting in your word more and more and understanding it more and more, you'll understand how persuaded Paul was. In this very, in these very verses. All right, let's go to Psalms one nineteen. Starting in verse one thirteen, we're back to what David has to say about hope, and I, I do love these men, and I do, I just think thank the Lord. Um, you know, the I was asking the Lord the other. This was a few years back, but I just thank the Lord for His word and His examples because. As we're going through things and you're going through something and you always think it's pretty tough what you're going through because that's what you're going through. But I'm always thankful for those examples that have come before us. Like Job. (laughs) What if you were Job and you didn't know you were Job? And you're going through something very trying and yet you have no idea that you are going to be an example for generations to come. But that's why it's so important to hope in the Lord is because he knows that and he knows how to deliver you and he knows what you're going through way before you even do. So Psalms 119, starting in verse 13, it says, I hate vain thoughts. <laughs> vain means empty and pointless in this scripture. And how many thoughts are we asked to think? And if again, I'm going to point to the media. I'm going to point to television because it's just outrageous how many vain thoughts are crawling across and absolutely really afflicting, really afflicting the human soul nowadays. How many vain thoughts? Well, David says this great. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. Did you know, beloved soul before the Lord, that you can hope, have your expectation in this word of God And you will always have your hiding place and your shield. David goes on to say, Depart from me, ye evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Let that always be my stance, Lord. Let that always be my stance. Uphold me according to thy word, that I may live. And let me not be ashamed of my hope. Well, when you hope in God Almighty, I guarantee you, you won't be ashamed. And that word ashamed means to be disappointed, to be confounded or confused. But when you know that the Lord's ways are perfect and you hope in God, you'll never be confused because you'll understand. Okay, Lord, I may not totally get every detail and I might have to just wait it out. But I know you are drawing up a perfect plan here. Says, hold thou me up, and I shall be safe, and I will have and I will have respect unto thy statutes continually. Wouldn't it be nice if all these so-called Christians out there would have respect unto the Lord's statutes continually? If they would just have respect unto this word of God. I uh had a friend send me this uh this pastor's message in a big church here locally, and he literally opened the word. First of all, the first 20 minutes were just him talking about stuff, not the word of God. He then opened the word, read real quickly through it, a couple of verses, closed it, and then went around talking and walking again. How is that having respect under the statues, statutes, let alone continually? This word of God is the most precious thing the human soul can encounter. As I've said, it's life and death. It is your very, it is the the very key to understanding the difference between the flood of ungodly men surrounding you and having the answers for your soul right here in the Word of God. So for those that don't open it and show a soul how to get into it and how to read it and let it wash over you, kind of like that rain that the Lord was talking about in Deuteronomy, that washing over you. How, do you, how are you having respect unto it? Um, and here in Psalm 78, it says, starting in verse 1, it says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. If the human soul, if mankind could just slow themselves down enough to do this, oh man, what a different world we'd live in. (laughs) If people just got in their word a little bit more, not even a little bit more, a lot more. If they'd just gotten their word at all, first of all, they'd get in their word a lot more because they'd see how cool it is and how many promises there are. and, And where to hope and where to put their hope? It says in verse two, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. Well, bless God, that's happening right now. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. Isn't that incredible that the generation to come might know them? Even the children which should be born who should arise and declare them to their children. This is meant to be passed on from generation to generation. So when they took the Bibles out of the schools back in the 60s, I think, 1963, isn't it interesting to see the precipitous decline of our nation? in our society. Because they, this is that was largely taken away from a lot of generations unless some strong, righteous Christians say, wait a minute. We're going to rest in the... Our hope is in the Lord. My hope is in his doctrine. I will give you my ear, Lord, and I will sing it forth. And that's what we're doing tonight, and that's why you're hearing this on the CD right now. It says in verse 7, That they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. That's right. Lord, we do set our hope in you, and we will not forget your works and will keep your commandments. Because guess what? Christ said, the first and great commandment, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, and all thy soul, and your neighbor as yourself. And in that, you fulfill all the law, and prophets. That's not grievous. <laughs> That's actually a really neat and precious thing to be able to do, Is especially when you read through 2 Samuel every now and then, 22, and you see the awesome power of God, or you read you know, through Isaiah, or you read in, in, um, in Matthew when Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. Stand and walk. All those things, when you do that, and you realize how could you do anything less than love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul? And here in Romans 5, verse 5, this is such an incredible scripture to really underline why we hope in God Almighty and why our heart can rest in that hope. It says, And hope maketh not ashamed. And that word ashamed, again, means disappointed, confused. You will never be confused when you hope in God Almighty, when you hope in his word, when you hope in his perfect ways. Here's why. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So again, underscoring the importance of the Holy Ghost and being baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost because that's how the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. So let's just go to where we were speaking of in Acts 3 because we want to know what we're hoping in, God Almighty. We want to hope in His Word. And so the Lord just gave me a couple examples of really incredible instruction from the disciples and from Christ to understand what hoping in the word really is about. So it says in chapter 3, verse 1, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple." This guy had been afflicted his whole life, never able to walk. The greatest kindness he was shown through his life was people picked him up and put him out in front of this temple that he might be given some charity. That was the greatest kindness this man had ever known until this particular day when his whole life was about to change who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked in alms, because that was all he'd ever gotten in his life, was just a little pittance. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Oh, didn't he, though? Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately, immediately, His feet and ankle bones received strength, and he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. Well, heck yeah, that's what happens when the Holy Ghost and the love, the true love of Jesus Christ walks into a soul's life. A soul that had his greatest hope, that lame man's greatest hope was to receive a couple pennies. Well, that all changed when the real gospel walked into the man's life. And Matthew, let's go to Matthew 6, verse 25. Because as I mentioned earlier, this world has a lot of substitutes for the word of God. It has a lot of confusing things and uh, bewilderments for the human soul. Why is that? It's because it wants to distract the human soul. Satan's job is to distract the human soul and hungry souls from the word of God. That's his entire job. So the more he can do that, the less souls will receive Christ's true love And those incredible healings and those incredible miracles. So, this is why this instruction is so important from Christ Himself. Chapter 6, Matthew, chapter 6, verse 25. And it says, Christ says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Absolutely. And when you have a spiritual mind, this becomes lifeblood to you. Christ goes on, Behold the fowls of the air. They sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought of raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Our hope is in God Almighty, that he not only created our human soul in its entirety with perfect ways before him, but that he will take care of us every breath we take, every step we take, every challenge we face, he has already taken care of it. How do we know that? Because his ways are perfect. <laughs> perfect means complete and whole. It doesn't mean what the world makes you think it means. When, when Christ says, be ye therefore perfect, it doesn't mean uh, have a six-pack abs and never have a hair out of place and have really good clothes or all that bullshit stuff. It means to be complete and whole. And when a soul has Jesus Christ and Nazareth in them, they are complete and whole. So that's why Christ says this. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They're not worried about the stuff of this life. They're not worried about the stuff of the flesh. They know God's taking care of them. In verse 30, wherefore, if God so clothes the grass Grass of the field, which, is, which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven. Shall he not much more clothe ye, O ye of little faith? He's already got you taken care of. He's already got your life perfectly laid out in peace and in love and in hope and in joy. And that's why in verse 31, Christ says, Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or What shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That is what my soul hopes in. That is the expectation I have of my God. I don't take thought for what's in my fridge. I don't take thought for how my bills are going to be paid. I, don't, I, I left a job that I'd had for more than 10 years, and I didn't take thought for what my life was going to look like on the other side. The Lord told me to leave, and I left for my soul's sake. So I can tell you, dear soul, those that are in front of me right now, those that are listening to this right now, I've lived this. And there is no better life on the planet than really taking no thought (laughs) for the morrow and hoping in God's righteousness and in God's perfect ways. Well, that's all I have tonight. If there be any further words of exhortation or comfort, we're just going to wait on the Holy Ghost and see if the Lord has anything else for us tonight. Thank you, Lord. And yea, my daughter, this night thou hast brought forth my word in simplicity and truth, and I thank thee for giving me, yea, the floor, and respecting me, saith God. For yea, how few in this day and age do that, saith the Lord. Yea, I shall say unto thee, Bill, I brought thee here this night, to yea, even fill thy heart and thy soul. So yea, if thou dost have questions, I shall answer them, ask me. And I shall answer thee, saith God, for I have seen thee on thy bed, yea, weeping, saying, yea, there must be more, there must be more. Yea, my son, there is much more for thee. So yea, from this day forward, I shall take thee on this path, and thou shalt have a mighty journey before me, if thou shalt choose it, saith the Lord. And that's prophecy. It's a... A gift of the Holy Ghost, and it's God Almighty speaking directly to your soul. So thank you, Lord. And ye saith the Lord, even further unto my people, yea, I have indeed brought forth a feast unto thee this night, saith the Lord, for yea, indeed I do tell thee and ask thee to hope in me, saith the Lord, for yea, I do not give out just partial or little tidbits, saith the Lord, for I give out holy, for yea, I am whole, and I am perfect, and yea, I do not want ye to miss any little bit, saith the Lord. So indeed, I, I do encourage thee this night to go deeper and to go farther with me, saith the Lord. Yea, uh, follow my commandments as my word does say, saith the Lord. And indeed, I will meet thee at where you come up to me, saith the Lord, this night.